The episode that you're about to listen to was originally recorded and released in November 2020 on the Just Another Fanboy podcast feed. Feedback can be sent to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com, despite what I say when I close out the episode. And with that out of the way, welcome to Just Another Fanboy Reads Madman Comics. The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with Bonnie, Gail, Dr. Flem, Joe, Frank, a couple of aliens, and a big bunch of street beatniks, all together in the world's snappiest comic magazine. Proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and I think it's time for some more Madman. I don't know about you, but I'm in the mood for some Madman. Frank Einstein, to be exact. And today, we're talking about Madman Comics, issue number one. This is the issue where it all started for me. Way back in 1994, April of 1994, to be exact, because that's when this issue came out. I was working for a comic book store, and one of my jobs was to go in on, good Lord, whatever day of the week it was that comics came out back then. I feel like it was a win- a Tuesday, maybe. I don't think they came out on Wednesday back then. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I worked uh, uh, a second job at a comic book store. My day job was actually a night job, so I would get out of work whatever day of the week that was that the new comics came in. I would get off of work at 7.30 in the morning. I would meet the UPS truck in some parking lot at one end of town because he wasn't scheduled to drop off our books until later in the day. But my boss wanted those books ready to go when the doors opened up at 10 a.m. So I would meet the UPS truck. He was scheduled to be somewhere on the other side of town at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would meet him, get the books, take him back to the store, get in the store, do all the sorting, pull them out of the boxes, put them in the pull list for all the, the club members, get them all on the shelf, and then get the store ready to open up at 10 o'clock that morning. Well, that particular morning, the week that this book came out, I was unloading comics from the boxes, and this cover just jumps out at me. It features Frank, Madman, right there on the front. He's he's not exactly busting through the cover, there's the cover is opened up behind him. It's like he had just busted through and now he's standing outside of the cover that he just tore open and behind him through the cover you can see what is supposed to be I guess the interior of the book even though that's it's not the first page that you see behind him. But it says up at the top the world's snappiest comic magazine, Madman Comics. This was from Dark Horse. It has an exciting little star at the bottom thing that says swinging first issue and madman. He's right there. Frank is front and center and he's firing a disc gun. So when I was a kid, they made these plastic guns that you could load these little plastic round, you know, circular discs into, and it was spring loaded and it would shoot these discs out and they'd go maybe a foot and a half. They might glide across the room if the wind was right, but I, I owned one. And it was orange. I remember mine being orange. His on the cover is purple, but it's one of those guns. And I recognized it immediately. And I think that's what made me latch on to this book. That made me pause as I was unloading books 
that morning. I stopped on that particular one and I couldn't take my eyes off the cover. So I, I recognize that gun. I had one of those. I had an orange version. Who is this guy? He's dressed all in white, except his torso is a very light gray with this big lightning bolt on the front with a dot underneath it, looking like an exclamation point. I find later it's called an exclamation bolt. And I found the front cover just very intriguing. So I started flipping through pages and there's just something about the art. There's just something about Mike Allred's art that is very, he's got this pop art, CC Beck kind of, kind of look going. Um, I just, I just fell in love with the art. And then after I unloaded everything and got everything on the shelves and put people's books in their, in their, uh, their pull boxes, the, the, the folks with the club membership, you know, if you're a comic book reader and you shop at the comic book store, you know what I'm talking about. After I got all that done, I sat down behind the counter and I read the issue. Now, when we originally started talking about this book, I had mentioned that this actually comes out in different series. The first series came out through Tundra. It was three issues. The second series came out through Tundra. It was also three issues. The third series is the one we're talking about now. Issue number one of the third series, Madman Comics. The first series was just called Madman. The second series was called Madman Adventures. This one's called Madman Comics. And again, it was released by Dark Horse. Tundra did the first two series. This was released by Dark Horse. And so the first thing they do, they take the first six pages of this book. And I should mention really before we get really, really into it, Madman Comics was created, written, and illustrated by Michael Allred with colors by his wife, Laura Allred. I've mentioned that before in the previous episodes, but it bears repeating. So anyway, as you open up the book, as the book opens up, as issue one gets underway, We actually start out with six pages, a little story called The Living End, a a pro-em. What's a pro-em? I mean, when I first saw that, I thought, are they trying to be cute? Are they saying a poem, but they're saying it like cutesy, a pro-em? Well, what does that mean? And so I looked it up because I may be dumb, but I'm not dumb. I'm I'm not smart enough to know what a proem is, but I'm smart enough to look it up. And a proem is basically just a a preface or a prelude, something that comes before the story, just a little bit of information. And that's what this is. Six pages called The Living End. We're in Dr. Flem's lab. He has Gail and Bonnie with him. Bonnie is his girlfriend. Gail is his lab assistant. And this is the issue. This little six-ish, this little six-page preface, prelude, prologue, whatever you want to call it, is where I learned for the first time that Gail's name is Gail Gale. Her first name is G-A-I-L. Her last name is G-A-L-E. Gail Gale. I honestly don't know if they mention that in either of the first two series, Madman or Madman Adventures, but it comes up in this little six-page proem, and it it made me laugh. Dr. Gail Gale. Anyway, so Dr. Flem is hooking Frank up. He's in his costume, as he always is. Dr. Flem is hooking him up to this, this helmet that just has all kinds of wires going into it. And ultimately what this is, this little six-page proem, is Michael Allred using this. He's using the opportunity to get everybody kind of caught up on what Madman's all about. Right away, it's established that Frank has some kind of psychic ability because Dr. Flem is using this device to record Frank's memories in his subconscious. And the goal here is to try to find out who Frank was. 
And we learn through this, if you've never read it before, and of course, the first time I read this issue, I'd never read any madman before, we learn that Frank Einstein is his name, but it's not his real name. He's actually a John Doe. When he hooks him up to this device and he turns it on, Frank sees his death. He dies in a car accident. There's a a friend of his and a friend of Dr. Flem's named Dr. Boyford who brings Frank back to life. When Frank comes back to life, he doesn't remember anything about his past. And so Dr. Boyford gives him the name of Frank Einstein, naming him after his two biggest his two biggest heroes, Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein. And so as Frank is reliving this, thanks to this device, he ends up actually seeing his future. And there's just one little quick panel of some gray dude with wires coming out of his head and wires wrapped around his arms and his bicep. And he's firing lightning bolts out of his eyes and killing Frank. And so they unplug Frank. He's a little disoriented. He talks about seeing his his death. And so... Dr. Flem is explaining to Bonnie kind of what's going on. He explains to Bonnie about Frank being a John Doe, about Dr. Boyford bringing him back to life. He explains that his only real memory from before his death is of a comic book character by the name of Mr. Excitement, who wore an exclamation bolt on his costume. That was his insignia. Frank feels more comfortable covered head to toe in this costume that he wears, and he has the exclamation bolt on his costume because it it reminds him of better times, I guess. It also gives him more confidence. He, av- having died and having been brought back to life, he doesn't look great. His skin is a very bluish gray. He's got a lot of scars where, you know, he was injured and then they had to cut into him and all that stuff. And so wearing the costume, especially a costume that can, that, has the logo of Mr. Excitement, gives him a lot of confidence. Frank also, we find out through this little prelude here, we learn about Frank's psychic abilities. We learn that he has very, very amazing agility. And we also get a very brief backstory on how Frank and Dr. Flem met. If you want to know how Frank and Dr. Flem met, you'll have to go back and, and listen to the at least the first three episodes. That tells that whole story. Dr. Flem also fills Bonnie in on what happened to Dr. Boyford. His story is contained within the second series, Madman Adventures. Dr. Boyford, there's really not much of a story to tell. He develops a brain serum. He injects it into his tongue. He keeps taking these injections of this brain serum, and his brain actually grows in his skull. And so he's got a big brain head, but it makes him so smart that he is kind of otherworldly smart. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not in our world anymore. Basically, it's like, he doesn't understand what's going on around him. He's in his own little world. Everything he says makes no sense to anybody. Maybe in a million years, we will catch up intellectually to Dr. Boyford and understand what it is that he's seeing and talking about. But until then, they basically just kind of have him in the hospital. And so once they're done telling the backstories and catching everybody up, we get into the main story, which is called Crash Course for the Ravers. And we start out with Frank and Joe. Joe is Frank's girlfriend. They are madly in love. They make such a cute couple. And they're in the park. Frank is sitting on a log and he is making paper airplanes and he's throwing them. They've they've got a little picnic basket and a blanket. And Joe is sitting in the grass next to the log and she is reading Frank's journals. Now, Frank's journals have been a big part of this 
series so far, the, the first two series. A lot of the narration, Frank narrates most of these issues and he continues to narrate them here. I was a little confused, having not read this issue in a long time, when we first start out the issue with the proem, it's narrated by Dr. Flem. And I thought, well, that's a weird choice because everything up to this point, the first six issues have all been narrated by Frank. But that's once I realized what was going on and that it was just a little prelude to catch everybody up, I kind of got back into the swing of things. And uh, so once we get into the main story, we're back to Frank narrating. And he starts out by saying, here's the skinny, Snap City. It's where I found myself. It's where anything, everything happens. It's where I met Joe. I'm mad for Joe. In the background, we see what appears to be a couple of UFOs flying around over the Snap City skyline. Frank's a little worried about letting Joe read his journals. He's afraid that once Joe reads them, she's going to think he's weird. And I think she's got this great answer. She says, I'm thrilled that you did. It gives me a feeling. Have you ever been so calm, so at peace that you feel thrillingly numb? That's how I feel now with you. So they're basically talking about how much they love each other and how they make each other feel. And Joe is telling Frank that she trusts him more than she's trusted anybody in her entire life. And she asks him if he trusts her. And he says, yeah, completely. And she says, have you ever played the trust game? And he doesn't know what that is. So she talks him into playing the trust game. And so she puts a blindfold on him. She has, she gets him up on top of this fallen tree that's sticking out over a hill. So he he's probably a good three feet up in the air at the very end of this fallen tree where he could fall at any moment. She has him turn around and then fall backwards. You know, the old trust fall exercise. And of course she catches him and he's worried because he doesn't want to smoosh her. And so they come out of the park. There's at one point there, there's a, a big, long set, a winding set of wooden steps going up into the hills and they're coming down those steps. There is a, a dark, furry, yellow eyed creature hiding in the bushes in the, you know, up back amongst the green watching them. We don't see this guy again for the rest of the book. It is foreshadowing something, I believe. I feel like we end up seeing this guy at some point in the future. But for all I know, he's Bigfoot. Like I said, it's just a very dark, furry, yellow-eyed figure. And so as they're coming down out of the park, out of the hill, from down from the hill, that's when one of these UFOs we saw in the background comes flying by. It zooms over top of them so fast that they're not quite sure what they saw. Joe asks, if it was a flying saucer, but he he's not quite sure. And then a second one comes by flying much lower and actually crashes into a wall that seems to be bordering the park. And so they go to check out whatever it was that crashed into the wall. Frank realizes that Dr. Flem is going to want to see it. And so he takes a, a walkie talkie out of his picnic basket, except for they call him calm talkies. And so he starts to radio into Dr. Flem when an alien creature just comes stepping out of the freaking forest and goes straight after him. It doesn't quite attack them, but it is rather hideous looking and very scary. And it's speaking a language that they don't understand. So they're they're feeling a bit of trepidation. Well, one of these paper airplanes that Frank has been throwing just comes circling back from wherever he threw it. And it flies between the alien and Frank and Joe. And the pointy end of this paper airplane stabs the alien in one of its eyes and the alien goes running off. It's now in pain. There's stars circling its head and it runs off into the trees and Frank goes after it. But before he does, he has Joe get him 
his rocket disc gun, which is the gun that caused me to flip through this issue in the first place. So he's chasing after the creature. He loses sight of it, but he looks down and there's a a big drainage pipe, like a man-sized drainage pipe you could easily walk into. And it's there's water coming out of it, draining into a pond or a lake or something down at the bottom of this hill. And next to it is a parachute. So Frank, Frank decides he's going to go investigate. So he goes into the, the drainage pipe and right inside, there's some glowing goop, like some goo, some gel, some slime on the ground. And there also just happens to be a mason jar nearby. So he picks up the mason jar. There's a, a few mason jars, actually. He picks one up and he scoops up some of this goop because he figures Dr. Flem is going to want to analyze it to see what it is. So he goes deeper and deeper into this, this sewer system. And at one point he comes across a ladder below him and he climbs down the ladder into some, you know, one of these rooms in a sewer. I don't know what you'd call them. But hanging out there in this room are street beatniks. Now, Frank has run into the street beatniks before. The street beatniks are awesome. I love the idea of just these, just this gang of beatniks that just live on the streets and they push people around and they're kind of bullies. And one of them recognizes Frank right away because in the previous series, Frank had stopped these guys from mugging a woman in the park and stealing her purse. And so because of that, they went to jail. And so they recognize Frank right away as the guy that that got him sent to jail. And so one of them pulls a knife and he attacks. Frank disarms him, but the others start coming at him. And really the only thing he can do, the only thing he's got other than his gun, and I'm not sure why he doesn't use it. Well, it's because he's holding, he, his, his gun is in his boot. He's holding a jar in each hand. And of course, in each jar is this goop that he's collected. So he throws the jars at the beatniks. They they smash on the heads of these guys and they're covered in this goo. Frank pulls his gun. He fires. And we find that it's not the same toy that I had as a kid. He's modified it. The discs that it fires are razor sharp. And by the time he's done, the street beatniks are on the ground and they're pulling these discs out of their faces and their arms and their legs. Frank goes running off. He goes back up the ladder and they kind of give chase. They're, you know, they're they're pretty down for the count at this point, but we'll see him again. Frank goes back to where Joe is and Dr. Flem has shown up by this time and he and Gail are checking out this ship. They're, they manage to get it loose from where it crashes into the wall. They have some kind of flying machine with them and they end up, they're going to take it back to the lab so he can, so Dr. Flem can check it out. Before they leave, Gail mentions that she's going to contact Marie and Warren and have them take a moto router tunnel from Buzztown to Boyford's lab in Snap City. Dr. Flem is located in, is in Buzztown. That's where he lives. Buzztown is kind of like a small town. And then Snap City is the big city. But they're going to take this back to uh, Dr. Boyford's lab in Snap City. Marie and Warren are these like softball-sized metal spheres that that have these hands coming out of them that Dr. Flem created to assist him around the lab. He calls them helping him. He asks if Joe and Frank want to come with him, but Joe mentions that she promised her boss that she'd help move boxes to the new office, and Frank wants to, wants to tag along with her. So we meet Joe's bosses. It's a, a pair of private detectives, Mike Mattress and Dan Krepp. Frank describes them as, he, he says, Krept is sort of quiet. I hate 
mattress. Both of these guys, they make really no issue out of it, but both of these guys have glowing red eyes. Nobody says anything about it. It just seems to be a thing. But Mike Mattress is kind of a jerk. The first thing he says when he sees Joe and Frank carrying these boxes to the office, he says, hey, Joe, looks like you brought along your pet gimp. And Frank is writing in his journal, man, I hate him. I know it's bad to hate, but he's a big smelly jerk. He thinks he's funny, but he's snot. Ha ha. And he's, he, he writes it as he and then the word snot. So he writes, he's funny, but he's snot. Ha ha. I heard Joe's dad, Mr. Lombard, say that once. Well, Mike Mattress has this girlfriend who Frank actually likes her because she sticks up for Frank and she tells Mike to to be nice to him and to apologize. And so Mattress reaches out his hand. He says, all right, how about we shake on it? Frank doesn't want to shake the man's hand. And he's like, well, you won't shake my hand. You don't trust me. And his partner, Krep, says, he says something to the effect of, well, he's probably afraid you got a joy buzzer in your hand. And sure enough, he does. So he puts it away. Mattress's girlfriend basically forces him to apologize to Frank and they shake hands. And when they do, if you remember, Frank has this psychic ability that that he doesn't have any control over. A lot of times he touches people and he just sees things. And the moment they shake hands, it's like all he can see are are freaking demons and evil. And he falls to the ground. He says, what are you? You're full of evil. And so Mattress's girlfriend, Sadie, is now even more upset because she thinks that Mattress did something to Frank. And he kind of did. So, I mean, we we kind of get this idea that there's something going on there with Joe's bosses. And Frank asks her, how can she stand working for guys like that? And she basically tells him that the pay is amazing. And since they're usually always out on cases, she rarely sees them anyway. And so Sadie comes over to Frank to apologize And it's at that moment that the street beatniks come out of the sewers to attack again. But there's something wrong with the street beatniks. They look different. Frank realizes that they've been mutated because of that goop that was in the jars. Yes, the beatniks have become mutant street beatniks. Probably one of my most favorite things ever seen in a comic. Street beatniks was funny enough, but mutant street beatniks. I mean, they wear freaking berets black shirts, striped shirts. They're just, you got to appreciate someone who can come up a with the idea of a gang of street beatniks for your hero to throw down with now and again. And then for them to get mutated into mutant street beatniks. Now I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but these mutant street beatniks end up becoming a very large part of Frank's life. So they chase him into this building and he runs up uh, every floor in the building until he's up on the roof. They chase him up onto the roof and he ends up being backed to the edge of the roof and he falls to his death. Frank falls to his death. But Warren and Marie, the two silver sphere helping hands arrive in Snap City at that time. They try to catch him but he's too heavy for them. But they do slow his descent enough that he smash, while he does smash into the top of a car, completely caving in the roof and shattering the windshield. He's fine. He's a little out of it. He picks himself up off the ground saying, Scotty, is the foil off of the TV dinner? One of the mutant street beatniks from atop the building throws a pipe at Frank. The pipe hits Warren, bounces off of Warren. Marie grabs it throws it back up to the top of the building. It hits the street beatnik in the head and knocks him out. 
Well, we assume. And if that wasn't enough for Frank to deal with at that point, the alien creature that we saw earlier just comes stumbling in just out of nowhere. It just comes stumbling up to Frank speaking in the language that you can't understand what it's saying. And then it just goes after Frank. It swipes a big clawed hand at him. Marie and Warren grab him and pull him out of the way. He starts to run, and now he's being chased down the street by this freaking alien. Frank leads it on a chase down into the the subway system. He manages to get into a room with a big steel door, shuts the door, and gets it locked so the thing can't come through at him. And then he finds one of the one of the uh, Moto Rooter tunnels that he and Doctor Flem built back in the previous series that they used to travel from Buzztown to Snap City. And so he's able to head to Boyford's basement using the tunnels to check in on Dr. Flem, who again has that spaceship. Now, when he goes into Flem's lab, they again, they don't explain it at all. There's certain things that just happen in this book that they just don't explain. I feel we'll learn about it later, but there just seem to be a lot of robot body parts, just smashed robots in pieces all over the floor of this lab. And I know that there is some stuff coming up with robots, so I don't know if this is one of those things that just never gets explained or if we'll learn about this later. But Dr. Flem and Dr. Gale have been analyzing this vehicle that they pulled off of this wall, and they find out that it is a spaceship. It is made of a metal that uh, is not from this Earth. They manage to get it open. They go inside the ship, and it's almost like there is a uh, techno-organic stuff going on inside this ship because the walls and the ceiling look like it's made out of brain and a weird, almost like intestine looking thing comes swinging out at them with a a glowing ball on the end of it and shoots all four of them. We got Dr. Flem, Dr. Gale, Joe, and Frank shoots all four of them with lightning, knocks them out. And then something, a man or a creature of some sort in a spacesuit comes and collects them, dragging them off. And while this is happening, we have Frank's narration. No one was moving. I'm not sure what stung us. It put the others out instantly. I struggled to keep my senses. It wasn't that I was hurt. I just felt lumpy like an old beanbag chair. He appeared then. He drug off Joe and Dr. Gale Gale. Then he took Dr. Flem. Everything got warm and fuzzy. I don't remember being touched when it came back for me. It was creepy and all, but I wasn't scared. I must have lost it then, dreamland. When Frank wakes up, he's next to the other three. They are in chairs that appear to be made of some kind of organic substance. They are strapped to the chairs with some type of organic rope. And as they wake up, the a- there, there's a new alien there. He's got a, just a giant smile on his face. And he says, rise and shine. I am Mott. Will you be my friend? And then we get a little box that says, next, Mott meets the X-Bots. And so that's how it ends. They're on the ship with this creature named Mott who asks them if they will be his friend. Well, I read this book the for the first time sitting in that comic book store and I was hooked and I never looked back. Now, I think I've mentioned before, at some point during the Dark Horse run, I stopped reading comics altogether. So I never finished the Dark Horse run. I feel like I got fairly far into it, at least 12 issues. I don't remember how many there are, 20, 25, something like that. And then eventually I came back to comics. And when I came back, not long after I came back to comics, they brought, they had stopped doing Madman, but then they bring it back to Image Comics. And I think it was called 
Madman Atomic Comics by that point. That's what they called it through Image. And of course, I jumped right on board, got a few issues in, and and again, it wasn't long until I stopped reading comic books altogether. Again, that's the way my life seems to go when it comes to collecting comics. I will collect for a while, like a couple of years, then I'll stop for a few years, and I'll collect for a couple of years, and I'll stop for a few years. So I think what I'm trying to say is if they announced at this point that he was coming back with another, with a new Madman series, because the, the Image series ended, I never finished it. I will be finishing both the Dark Horse series and the Image series, hopefully, while we're doing this podcast. But if at some point Mike Allred comes out and he says, hey, I'm going to do a new series, a new Madman series, should I worry that that means that I'm going to stop reading comic books again? Because that seems to what that that's what's happened. The last two times he's started up a new series, I just stopped reading comics. Not because of him, not at all. You know, comics are expensive. But this was this was the next level. So series one, black and white with like a, a, a shade, a blue shade to go along with it. Series two, Mad Men Adventures, full color. The art steps up a couple of notches. And now we're here with series three, still full color, but the art is now even better. Jumped up a few more notches. These issues are supposed to be shorter. I remember them being shorter because the first two series... Again, there were three issues in each series, but each issue was like 50, 60 pages each. This issue seemed to be much over 30 pages. Maybe it was bigger because they wanted to do that six-page introduction at the beginning, the proem, to get people caught up. But it did seem to be larger than your average 22-page comic. I didn't I didn't count how many pages. I'm reading it as a digital trade that I got through Comixology. So, yeah. But I love this book so much. This, again, this is the issue that I got into Madman. I just fell in love with the book. It seems like each round of comic collecting, I find a creator uh, and book that I just latch onto and it becomes my thing. During this round of collecting, it was Madman. During the next round of collecting that will come up, it was Alex Grecian and Riley Rosmo's proof. During this third round of getting back into comic books, it's Daniel Warren Johnson. And Tom Taylor, even though they haven't worked together, but they probably should, but they probably won't. Anyway, this episode has gone on for a long time. I try not to make episodes this long, but there was a lot to talk about with this book to get it set up, to talk about how I first got into Madman and everything. So I don't want to just cut it off at this point, but I do need to wrap it up. I will say that, like I said, this is the point where I just became kind of obsessed with Madman. I'm looking at a poster on my wall right now. It's actually considered a print, a Madman print that I bought back then that is just extremely, it's a it's a very nice looking piece of art with Frank right in the center. And then all these characters that we're going to run into that we've either run into before or that we're going to run into as the series goes on. And I can see the, uh, let's see. I'm kind of at a weird angle. I see the 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 weird the the creature I talked about near the beginning when they're coming down from the hill down those all those wooden steps and there was some creature this dark furry yellow-eyed creature I can see that in the image so that obviously is coming up at some point and I see Mott and all kinds of other stuff. I had a really awesome Madman statue that got broken. I got a couple of Madman magnet sets. I have a Madman yo-yo. And I don't know how far into the Dark Horse series I got before I started looking for back issues, but it was also around this time that I would go out of town. My father, 
I wasn't living at home, but my father ran a second business where he would lease these jumpstart machines. And he was given a territory in Kentucky and Tennessee around that area. And every once in a while, he'd have to go east. He'd have to go to Kentucky and Tennessee and replace faulty machines or deliver machines to places he sold new ones to or lease them to, you know, to, to uh, mechanics and, and car lots and whatnot. And every once in a while, he was not able to go. So he would send me in his stead. And typically, whenever I would travel, the first thing I would do when I would stay the night in a, in a new town is I would look up in the yellow pages for local comic book shops. And the next day I would go comic book shopping. And I was always looking for back issues of G.I. Joe and trying to get these six madman back issues. And eventually I got them. I know I went to the Chicago convention twice during those years. And uh, that's where I picked up one of the trips to Chicago is where I picked up my madman statue. Anyway, like I said, I really need to wrap this up. If you haven't gotten it by now, I'm in love with the madman comics. I'm having a really good time rereading them again. And uh, I hope you're enjoying hearing me talk about them. And frankly, I I think it would be really neat to find out that some of you guys are going back and reading these along with me or seeking them out and reading them for the first time. If you're doing either, let me know. One of my Twitter followers, Andre TFG, who I have to say is a wonderful person because (laughs) they retweet pretty much anything I put up about the show. They retweet it. Um, But when I posted on Twitter that I read this issue, because I'm also, you know, I don't just post about the podcast on Twitter. I'm doing a, like a Twitter thing called hashtag my 500 comic book goal, where I'm reading comics and I'm trying to read 500 in 2020, which I've totally done. Now I'm trying to hit 1000. But when I posted as part of that, that I read this book in anticipation for recording this episode today, Andre TFG responded with, this is the first issue I read too. I got it in the crash course for Ravers trade. So I know that Andre is reading along with me. If I'm even saying your Twitter handle correctly, you'll let me know. You'll correct me. It's cool. It's okay to correct me because like I said, I'm kind of an idiot and I get things wrong and I read things incorrectly, but I know that they are reading along or at least they have read this issue But I I would really like to know if anybody else is reading along, reading these issues with me, if they're rereading them or if you are reading them for the first time. Let me know. Drop me an email at feedback at stevenorelse.com or any of the places where I post this episode, whether it be at the site, just anotherfanboy.com, over on Twitter or Instagram at Stephen or else, or on Facebook at the Just Another Fanboy podcast page. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. I need to wrap this up. So until next time, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Stay safe. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Stop, stop the music. I'm sorry. I apologize. I had something that I wanted to talk about that I completely forgot to mention, and then I just stopped the show, and then I remembered I wanted to talk about it because I feel like it's fairly important. If you are not subscribed to the Just Another Fanboy YouTube channel, you really should subscribe. As of this past weekend, I have started to do weekly live streams featuring a guest. And when I say I just started this past weekend, that means there's only one out so far. The guest for this first episode is my buddy Harold. He and I have worked on on various creative projects together, such as Our Adventure Continues. The link will be in the show notes. 
he's going to be on again the second episode, which is which will be this Sunday. But I'm going to have other people on every now and again. Harold will probably be on a lot as often as he is as he can. But I have already reached out to other folks. I have some other guests lined up for future weeks. And uh, I'm making a list of other people that I want to reach out to. And I'm really excited that I'm able to do this because up until now, the YouTube channel has just been a place for you to go and listen to the podcast episodes through YouTube. But I've been wanting to add more video content up there. And now I finally am. And I would like them to come out every Sunday, but not everybody that is going to be on the show will be able to live stream on a Sunday. So the episodes will could come out at different times. They could come out on a Sunday one week, on a Friday the next week, on a Saturday the week after that. And so the best way for you to know when a new live stream is going up is, is to subscribe to the show. You can then watch them live and ask questions and leave comments as we're creating this live stream. Or you can wait until we're done and watch it at your leisure there on the YouTube channel. But that's it. I've said my piece. I'm really excited about it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The link will be in the show notes. I'm done talking. This episode's over. Let's get back to the music. See ya. Good job. Mm.